Thank you, men. Thank you, Betty Ray. I hope you have your Bible open, uh, if you have your Bible with you today, to Mark chapter 1. These verses are going to be up on the screen, along with many more. In the event that uh, you haven't been here for the last couple of Sundays, that just I'm, I'm trying to introduce where we're at, okay? This is a fourth message uh, out of Mark chapter 1. And I hope and pray that God has been speaking to your heart, especially if you've not yet trusted Christ as your Savior. Um, you know, I, I can remember those days before I turned to Christ, not knowing what in the world is going on. What's all these feelings going on inside my heart? I know that I'm a terribly bad person. I'm a sinner. God must be angry with me. Uh, but I'd never read the scripture I'd heard the name of Jesus. I didn't understand and know who he was. I did not know how to pray because I had not practiced prayer. Uh, I didn't even know where to go in the Bible to find out about Jesus. And so when, um, when I started feeling uh, that I was a sinner and I needed to know God, I started in Genesis chapter 1. Now, there's nothing wrong with Genesis chapter 1, but if you want to know the gospel of Jesus Christ, although its roots begin in Genesis, you need to go to the gospel record. So that's why we've been focusing on Mark chapter 1. It's taken us four weeks to get to this point where we're really going to look at these verses. So follow with me as we read Mark chapter 1, beginning with verse 14, okay? Now, after John was arrested, Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel and saying, the time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand, repent and believe in the gospel. And passing along by the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net in the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. And before I pray, I want us to look at Mark chapter 1, verse 1, which is the next scripture on the slides. You remember we've looked at this verse before, but listen to this the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, there are so many things in life that we cannot understand. Lord, I don't understand where every single day the sun rises and sets. But Lord, I know that there is an almighty creator in God who has set everything in motion and who has a plan not only for the universe, but for each one of us seated in this room, in this sanctuary. And I thank you that part of that plan is that we would not perish, but we would know your love through your son. We would know the gospel. And Father, this morning, I pray that if there's someone here who does not yet know who Jesus is, that truly he is the son of God and the savior of the world, that as we study the testimony and the announcement of Mark, Oh, God, your Holy Spirit would take these scriptures and the scriptures that we're going to read and, Lord, penetrate in our hearts and minds and help us to understand the good news of your Son. Lord, I pray that your Holy Spirit would be allowed to work in our hearts today, that he would be allowed to convict us of our sin and wrongdoing so that we would be willing to turn to the Savior who died in our place. And, Father, I pray for us as Christians Oh, God, many of us have heard the gospel many, many times. I pray that we've not become calloused or hardened toward it. I pray, Father, that we do not treat it insincerely, but, Lord, we praise you and thank you that you came 
and you died for us. Lord, please be in our midst in these moments. And again, if there's someone that needs to come to your son to repent, to believe in the gospel and follow him, we pray that that would be done in these moments ahead. In Jesus' name, amen. In verse 14, Mark tells us that Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel of John. Now, especially last Sunday, we talked a lot about this man, Mark. Mark uh, was brought up, it seems, in a Christian home that are a, a believer's homes. His parents, it seems, were following Jesus. And he heard Jesus teach about his impending death, not knowing what that death would mean. But then, after Jesus' death and resurrection, he was mentored by Peter and by Paul and even went on missionary journeys. But at some point in time, God led his life aside, and it seems under the tutelage of Peter that he wrote the gospel that we call Mark. Mark, led of the Holy Spirit, does not give us a lot of chronological details about Jesus' life. He doesn't do like Matthew and Luke, who begin introducing us to the newborn baby in the manger in Bethlehem. He doesn't do like the gospel writer John, who sees back into eternity before the creation that God had a plan that when mankind sinned, that God would send his son. Mark just jumps into the flow of Jesus' life. And in Mark chapter 1, Jesus has begun his ministry. And so Mark begins to tell us of Jesus' message and about his servanthood. And please notice in verse 1, in verse 14, and in verse 15, Mark uses the word gospel. In verse 1, he says the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ. In verse 14, he says that Jesus came into Galilee preaching the gospel of God. And in verse 15, Mark says, The time is fulfilled, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. Folks, what does this word gospel really mean? Why is this word gospel so important? Well, let me, before we explain what the word means or the words mean, the gospel comes from God and brings us to God. And, and that's a powerful statement, not because I'm saying it. Actually, I read that in a commentary by Warren Wiersbe. The gospel comes from God and brings us to God. When you and I are talking about the gospel of Jesus Christ, we're not talking about something that is man-made or man-centered. We're talking about the good news of how God has sent his son to die on the cross. You see, the gospel is Jesus Christ because Jesus Christ is the heart of the gospel. Without Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, there would be no gospel. And if someone comes up to you and I after today and says, what is the gospel? I hope that we'll be prepared to give them an answer. And I hope you're saying this morning, well, give me, give me a good definition. Give me scripture that points out what the gospel is. I'm glad you want me to do that because there's a couple of passages I want to share with you, okay? Romans 1.16. Look at this. Romans 1.16. You might want to make a note of this, but it'll come up on the screen. Listen to this. Paul is writing, for I am not ashamed of the gospel. And then listen, Paul defines the gospel. Look at this. It is the power of God for salvation to everyone who has faith, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. 
Folks, listen to this. The gospel is what? The power of God for salvation. If you and I want to know how we can be saved, how we can be in right relationship with God, it is through the gospel. But folks, listen to 1 Corinthians 15, verses 1 through 4. And again, I hope that that if you don't have your Bible, uh, that you'll jot these down on a bulletin or something. Because not because I'm telling you this, but because this is the word of God. And this describes what the gospel is. 1 Corinthians 15, verses 1 through 4. And again, it is the Apostle Paul. Now, I would remind you, brethren, in what terms I preach to you the gospel, which you received and which you stand, by which you are saved, if you hold it fast unless you believed in vain. Now, listen to verses 3 and 4, okay? For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. Now, remember again. Remember again that Paul did not get saved until after the resurrection of the Lord. And Paul was persecuting the church. And Paul says, here is how I became a follower of Jesus. Here is what I know to be the good news of Jesus Christ, the gospel. Listen to this. I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received. Now look at the latter part of verse 3 and verse 4. That Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scripture, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scripture. Folks, you know, so often we make the gospel something that, that's hard to understand, that cannot be explained. But folks, look at what Paul says. He says three things. Christ died for our sins. He was buried and he rose on the third day. My friends, that is the gospel according to the word of God. What does the word gospel itself mean? It simply means good news. Good news. And folks, let me give an example of this in Luke chapter 2, verses 10 and 11. Luke chapter 2, verses 10 and 11. This will come up on the screen. And, and as I begin to read this, you'll remember this story well. This is the shepherds are out in the fields tending their flock, and an angel comes to the shepherds to tell them that in Bethlehem, the Christ child is being born. And listen, listen to how the angel describes it. And the angel said to them, be not afraid, for behold, I bring you what? Good news. Good news of a great joy. Now, what is the good news? What brings great joy? And he says, great joy, which will come to all the people. Here's the good news. For to you is born this day in the city of David, a Savior, who is Christ the Lord. Folks, listen. The gospel was the public announcement about something that God was doing. In the original context in that day, the Romans would have understood the word to mean the good news about the emperor. But back again to chapter 1, verse 1 of Mark, as Mark begins his gospel, he says the beginning of the good news of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Folks, listen to what Mark is saying. The gospel is the story, the good news, that God's Son has come into the world and died for our sins. The gospel is good news because our sins can be forgiven We can have right relationship with God. We can belong to the family of God that the men's choir just sang about. And one day we can go to live with God in heaven, that mansion just over the hilltop. And folks, this is not make-believe stuff. 
This is the good news. Heaven announced it through the angels. Heaven announcement by the word God himself becoming flesh in the form of Jesus the man. And now Mark who has come to know Christ as his personal Savior, and many others throughout the New Testament, just like the Apostle Paul, are saying Jesus is the good news. And folks, the good news is the announcement of victory over sin, over death, and over hell itself. Folks, that's what the gospel is. That's the good news. So what does Jesus tell the people himself? And please notice there are three instructions that Jesus gives in the verses that I've read, verses 14, 15, 16, and 17. And folks, they're very simple. Jesus says, repent, believe in the gospel, and follow me. Now let's look at these three instructions closely, okay? Step one in verse 15, Jesus says what? Repent, repent. Folks, And the concept of repentance is the understanding that each and every one of us are sinners. And our lives are on a path of destruction away from God. Romans 3.23, look at this verse. Since all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Now notice that word all, every single one of us. Folks, all of us, the only man that lived that did not sin was Jesus Christ. Unless God calls a baby away, that child is going to grow up and have a sin nature just like you and I do. And it doesn't take very long, does it? Selfishness, self-centeredness. Folks, all of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. And here's the problem with sin, Romans 6, 23, for the wages of sin. And it's not just like it's money. That's not it. The just desert of, of sin is what? Death. And folks, it's not just death at the end of life. It is spiritual death. It is being dead to a relationship with God. It is knowing that there is a creator God that we are accountable to, but not knowing how to relate to him. That is spiritual death. But look at what Paul says. But the free gift, the free gift of God is what? Eternal life in who? Christ Jesus our Lord. And folks, look at Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. And these are the words of our Lord himself. And folks, these are pretty straightforward. Jesus said, enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter it are many. For the gate is narrow, the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. And listen to what Proverbs 14.12 says. Proverbs 14.12. There is a way that seems right to man, but its end is the way to death. Now, folks, again, why are we reading these verses of Scripture? Because, first of all, in the concept of repentance is an understanding that we are sinners, and secondly, we are on a path of destruction away from God. Before we turn to Christ, our path is self-centered. In Isaiah 53, 6, listen to this. All we like sheep have gone astray. All, every one of us go in a different direction than God wants us to. 
We have turned everyone to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity, the sin of us all. You remember Isaiah 53 is a prophecy of the coming suffering servant that would die on the cross to take away the sins of mankind. But all we like sheep have gone astray. We turned everyone to his own way. But folks, let me point something out. There will be a point in time in life when God will begin to deal with our hearts and lives. When God will send his Holy Spirit to begin to convict us of sin. Now, I want to tell you something, folks. It is not easy to say, God, I'm a sinner. It's not easy for us to say that we've done anything wrong, is it? I mean, as human beings, it is hard to confess our shortcomings and our weaknesses and faults. And God knows how stubborn we would be, so God would send his Holy Spirit. Jesus says, we don't have this on the screen, but Jesus says in John 16, 8, when he, the Holy Spirit, comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Folks, there'll come a time in our lives, and it will happen many times, perhaps, before we turn to Jesus. But there'll be a time in your life when the Spirit of God will point out to you that you have made many mistakes, and you've committed many sins against God, not only in the past, but also in the present. And that we have truly missed the mark that God has intended for our life. And as the Spirit of God begins to deal in our heart and convict us of our sin, what should we do? Well, there's a number of options that we can take. First of all, we can simply throw our hands up in the air and say, I'm defeated. I can't turn from my sinful ways. I'm just going to continue being chained to my addictions and to my sins. And since helplessness and hopelessness... And I'm afraid there are many people in our world today that feel just that way. We can respond by denying that we're lost. And, you know, people do that all the time. People say, well, I see that crowd that goes down to the church. I'm just as good as they are. If they're going to get into heaven, I'm going to get to heaven too. Folks, you're not going to be standing in my presence or being judged by me when you die. You'll stand in the presence of God. We can seek in our own power to change and make ourselves holy by our own actions and efforts. But there's something that we find out when we try and do that. If Christ does not reign in our heart, overtaking our sinful nature, then sin will reign. Let me read some verses to you out of Romans chapter 7. And this is a lengthy passage of Scripture. And I'm going to be reading this out of the Living Bible. And let me point something out. In the context of Paul writing here, he is talking about after being saved. And he's talking about the continual struggle that you and I have with our old sinful nature, even after we're being saved. But here's my point in reading these words of Paul. Before Christ comes in to give us victory over sin, sin overtakes us and we become slaves to it. And folks, there's evidence of that all around us today. But folks, just listen to these words, Romans 7, verses 15 to 25. I don't understand myself at all, for I really want to do what is right, but I can't. I do what I don't want to, what I hate. I know perfectly well that when I'm, what I am doing is wrong, and my bad conscience proves that I agree with these laws I am breaking. 
but I can't help myself because I'm no longer doing it. It is sin inside me that is stronger than I am that makes me do these evil things. I know that I'm rotten through and through so far as my old sinful nature is concerned. No matter which way I turn, I can't make myself do right. I want to, but I can't. When I want to do good, I don't. And when I try not to do wrong, I do it anyway. Now, if I am doing what I don't want to, it is plain where the trouble is. Sin still has me in its evil grasp. It seems to be a fact of life that when I want to do what is right, I inevitably do what is wrong. I love to do God's will so far as my new nature is concerned, but there is something else deep within me in my lower nature. That is at war with my mind and wins the fight, makes me a slave to the sin that is still within me. In my mind, I want to be God's willing servant, but instead I find myself still enslaved to sin. So, so you see how it is. My new life tells me to do right, but the old nature that is still inside me loves to sin. Oh, what a terrible predicament I'm in. Now, folks, if it ended right there, we'd all be in a mess. But look at these next verses. Look at this. Who will free me from my slavery to this lower, deadly lower nature? Thank God it has been done by Jesus Christ, our Lord. He has set me free. Folks, listen to this. If you and I want to be free from sin, there's only one that can do it. And that is Jesus Christ. So listen to what Jesus is saying here. He says to repent. What does repent mean? And there are at least three good definitions. Number one, it means we change our minds. Let me tell you how we change our minds. Suddenly, God is right and we're the ones that's wrong. And instead of denying that we're sinners... We gladly in repentance say, Lord, I've made a mess out of things, and I believe only you can straighten them out. And repentance also carries the idea, the feeling of regret and remorse. Now, folks, listen, this is not that we're sorry that we got caught, but we're sorry because we ever doubted God's way and God's plan for our life. It is an admission of the destructiveness of sin and acts of rebellion against God. And here's the one that really, I believe, pictures repentance best. We turn away from sin and we turn back to God. Have you ever been on a trip and you forgot something and you made a U-turn and, and went back to get it? Well, that U-turn is a good picture of repentance in a person's life. And let me give you a biblical example of repentance. And Luke chapter 15, and we're going to read verses 17 to 24. And again, you know this story so well. It's the story of the prodigal son. Listen to this. Luke 15, beginning with verse 17. But when he came to himself, he acknowledged he'd gone the wrong direction. He said, how many of my father's hired servants have bread enough in despair, but I perish here with hunger. I will arise. Here's the concept of, a, of repentance. He had gone into a far country away from his father. But listen, he says, I will arise and go where? To my father. He's going to go back to his father. The one that he rebelled against, the one that he left, the one that he thought didn't know squad, if you don't mind me saying it that way, okay? And he, will, and he says, I will say to him, and this is confession. 
I will say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. And again, Lotus said, I have sinned. Listen to verse 19. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. And he rose and came to his father. But while he was at a distance, his father saw him and had compassion and ran and embraced him. And the son said to him, Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. You ever felt that way? No longer worthy to be a child of God. But listen to this. But the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe, put it on him, put a ring on his hand, shoes on his feet. And bring the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and be merry. Listen to verse 24. For this my son was dead and he's alive again. He was lost. He's found. And they began to make merry. But there's a second thing Jesus said. Jesus said, believe in the gospel. Repent, number two, believe in the gospel. And folks, let me point something out. Repentance leads us to turn away from what we originally trusted in, in self or sin, and we do what? We believe in the gospel. What does this mean? The word believe means to commit ourselves wholeheartedly to Jesus. To believe is more than receiving information about God and about our sin. Believe is an action word which means that we put our trust in what? The gospel. And who is the gospel? Jesus. And so in essence, we commit ourselves to Jesus. And folks, there's three things about Jesus that we're committing ourselves to in believing the gospel. Number one, we're believing in Jesus's work for us. What did Jesus do for us? He came to earth in the form of a man. He died. He was buried. He was raised from the dead. He ascended back into heaven as the Lord of lords and King of kings. And he's coming back again at a time appointed by God the Father. His work for us. We also commit ourselves to his power. You remember what we read out of Romans 1.16? I am not ashamed of the gospel. Why? It is a power of God to salvation. And I'm told that the word, our English word for dynamite comes from the word, the Greek word for power there. And in essence, Paul is saying in our language that the gospel is a dynamite of God to bring salvation in our lives. And folks, in believing in Jesus, we're trusting in Jesus' unmerited and unloving, undeserving love for us. We've read these two verses before, but let me read them again. Ephesians 2, verses 8 and 9. Look at this. For by grace you have been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is a what? A gift of God. Not because of works, lest any man should boast. Folks, when we believe in the gospel, when we believe in Jesus, we are abandoning every effort on our behalf to earn and make our way into heaven. And we trust in the work of Jesus to bring salvation. And then there's a third thing that Jesus said in verse 17. Follow me. Follow me. Repent. Believe in the gospel. Follow me. Folks, we as Christians, as well as those who have not yet trusted Christ need to hear this two-word instruction of Jesus. Not only when we trust him, but after we trust him, after we repent, after we believe the gospel, we need to follow Jesus. What does this mean? 
And folks, if you're a believer here today, please pay attention to this. And again, these are the words of our Lord. Jesus should become our Lord. He should become the authority over our lives. What does that mean? Five quick things. When Jesus is our Lord, we surrender our lives completely to him. When Jesus is our Lord, we seek his will in all that we do. When Jesus is our Lord, we obey his commandments. When Jesus is our Lord, our lives become instruments of his work. And when Jesus is our Lord, we live to give him honor and to give him glory. And folks, that's what the name Christian should mean. That we become little Christ or little Jesuses. How can we do that? Let me give you two verses. Galatians 2.20. Again, Paul is writing, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 15, And he died for all that those who live, listen to this, those who live might live no longer for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. Folks, listen. The moment of our salvation is only the beginning of the journey with Christ. For Peter and John, for the others that Jesus called to follow him, that was only the beginning. And folks, the day that you and I come to know Christ as our Savior, that's only the beginning of an eternal journey with the Lord Jesus Christ. So folks, this morning, as we close these four messages, and as we prepare to give the invitation, let me ask you this question. Has there been a point in time in your life when you have followed these instructions of Jesus? When you've repented of sin... When you've trusted Christ as your Savior from sin's penalty, which is death, and made a commitment to follow him. Today, will you believe the good news, the gospel, that Jesus is the Savior of the world and the Son of God? And in closing, let me read John 3, 16, 17, and 18. You've heard all of these verses, but look at them closely on the screen. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Now, folks, listen to verse 17. For God sent the son into the world not to condemn the world, but that the world might be saved through him. In verse 18, he who believes in him is not condemned. He who does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. Folks, this morning, only you can answer the question, have you given your heart and your life to Jesus? I can point you in his direction, and I can share how Christ spoke to my life as a lost sinner, unworthy of the love of God, and how he came into my heart. I can share that with you, but I can't make that decision for you. But the Holy Spirit of God will lead you to do that. The Holy Spirit of God will let you know that you're lost in sin. And the Holy Spirit will point you to Jesus. And Jesus will say, repent, believe in the gospel, and follow me.
Let's pray together. Father, I pray that in these last four Sundays we truly have heard from your Son. And Lord, even these moments as the Spirit of God is speaking to hearts, I pray that, Lord, not only that you would help us understand that we're sinners lost without Christ, but how we can come to Christ and receive him as Savior. Father, I pray that if there's someone here today that you've been working with, and Lord, it's not just in this moment and it's not just in these sermons, but you've been working with them, directing them to yourself. Lord, I pray even right now that they might say, Jesus, I want to repent. I trust in the gospel and I follow you. And I pray today that they'll be born into the kingdom of God and that they'll begin this journey with you. Father, in these moments of invitation, I just pray, Father, that your will would be done. And I pray that you'll give strength and courage to those that need to make public professions of faith. In Jesus' name, amen.